Well, Lightning and App Builder are now GA. Oh, and also they, I guess, announced this App Exchange for Components. Oh, yeah. That was on my list. It is? Well, <laughs> so what do you think of that? I think it's cool. I checked out the component site. It's, it's, it's reminiscent of the early App Exchange days where you could click around. There's maybe a handful of applications in there, and they're kind of really lightweight stuff. You know, things you could tell... Either some people, like, especially on productivity, there's a lot of there's a lot of task apps in productivity. You know, check a box. Where's my milk? Change for components. Does this come up with anything? Here it is. Yeah, it's really hard. You know, I think Visual Basic was probably the had the most successful component marketplace ever, but mm-hmm. there's just been nothing since then. Well, this is different though. That, I mean, that was more UI centric components. I don't think they were talking about building kind of modular applications that you can drag and drop like you can with with what this is. Yeah. So most popular, multi-view calendar, a USA heat map. We need to be forward thinking and take some screenshots right now so we can remember it in its early stages before it blows up. Actually, I mean, it looks, I mean, it looks like the app exchange, I guess. It looks pretty decent, though. No, um, I mean, look and feel is different. I'm just talking about the, the amount of content that's there since there's, there isn't that many components out there just yet. And like, who's making these? Uh, let's see. I'm just click on one. Click on the calculator. Uh, provider? Is that what it's called? God, this is really slow. This is, oh, it's from Salesforce. Yeah, so a lot of these are just Salesforce Labs things. I know there's some yeah. third-party ones. And the app exchange is just slow. You click on something, you get into the listing of it. Well, first of all, this, of course, it's, maybe it's, powered it's, just, by, it's powered by Visual Force, so that's why may, it's slow. Maybe but. it's just Salesforce in general. I, I, this week seems to be the slowest in a long time. That I can remember, everything took forever. Even even the point and click on the interface to get to some pages and things that I had to do, those were taking a good seconds to load. Well, I I don't want to exaggerate and say minutes, but it was more than a few seconds. It yeah. was a good solid 10, 15, maybe even almost half a minute for some pages to come up. At least and that's the perception. That's the way it felt. And of course, you go to look at trust, and what does trust say? Well, everything's perfect. Everything's yeah, green. Right. There's no problem here. It's no, green. No, nothing to see here. Green Move grass, along. Move blue along. Skies, <laughs> the sun is shining. There's nothing going on over here. And I'm just like, you know, well, that's cloud for you, right? You're on, you're on a, it's like, do you remember party lines? Did you ever have a party line? No. Do you know, do you remember I, those? I do, I do remember, but no, I was never cool enough to have a party I line. I bet a lot of people have no idea what those are. So there, this was, you know, if you're old fogies like John and I, you might remember this. And this might have been just an American thing. I don't know if other countries have this, but. If you didn't want to, you know, shell out the big bucks for your own private phone line in your house, you could get a party line for much cheaper. And basically it's, you know, four or five different houses would essentially share the same phone line, but they Hmm. would have, but each house would have a distinctive ring. So your, your house might be the three ring. So it'd go ring, ring, ring. That means it, that meant someone was calling your line. But when you're on the phone, one of your neighbors could pick up the phone and you would be on the phone. They would hear, you'd have to say, oh, you know, I'm on the phone. Try later. <laughs> but that's what, that's what this is. I mean, you are, you are sharing this pod yeah. at Salesforce with thousands of other customers. And if, you know, if a handful of them are doing a, a big deployment or you know, slamming with a data migration or something, then it's just going to slow you down. You are not buying your own. You know, you're not getting your own. Unlike you know, with AWS, you, you fire up your own server. That's yours, right? No one else is, no one else is using that. Um, and Salesforce, you know, I thought I thought AWS did a lot of virtual stuff though, like unless you're in the top tiers. Well, uh, no, I mean it's well, it's all virtual. I mean they're all they're 
they're essentially virtual machines. You're still sharing compute power. No, no, you're dead. It's dedicated. It's all dedicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I don't want to say it's all dedicated. They may have some product that's some shared thing, but the vast majority of it is, you know, you're you're getting your own guaranteed amounts of RAM, CPU, and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. But yeah, so it can just slow down. And what really sucks is when you are like say you're in the middle of a deployment or you're, you know, you're working on the weekend to do a deployment or something and and it's crazy slow. Or you're on a deadline and you're just you know, trying to get as much coding done or whatever you're doing. And, you know, every time you go to compile an Apex class or or upload a static resource to test, you know, to tweak your style changes, yeah, it's just 30 seconds to do anything. Yeah, I will say the, I don't mind the, snow, uh, the slowness. Oh, twisted my words. <laughs> Fumbled my words. I don't mind how slow it is on days when I have time and I'm relaxed and I can just go through my stuff normally. That's because you're a Stockholm syndrome victim. <laughs> but, but you've, on, you've grown to love your, your oppressor. <laughs> yeah. But, but when I'm, when I'm on either on a timeline or something's broken and I'm trying to fix it, you know, that's when the stress comes out and that's when every second counts. And that's when I just start losing it. That's when I start just kind of pulling out my hair because I'm frustrated with how slow it is. Yeah. Because I'll make one tiny mistake and then I'll save and that'll lead to an error and then I have to do it again and then again and again until I just, be, because usually in that time I'm tired and stressed and I'm not thinking straight. So I'm making a lot of mistakes. So the fact I can't just keep saving and iterating is. in it, you know, I, again, I think the biggest thing we talked about this is it takes you out of your flow, your mental, your, you know, your mental flow. And that right. just, is, it's really challenging. But uh, yeah, so I, I you know, there was some article, I think it was PC World, but I described a few quotes here about what lightning an app builder lets you do. So uh, it lets customers snap together new mobile apps. It promises the ability for any business user to to assemble apps by visually dragging and dropping pre-built reusable components. Um, Salesforce's component-based approach allows any business user to create an app much the way one would snap together Lego blocks. That's a quote from Salesforce. Well, I mean, it's it's not a bad analogy. Uh, this this drag and drop drag and drop programming I love it it's it just never goes away it always comes back um, lightning components can be used together in various combinations and they range in complexity from single UI elements to microservices <laughs> <laughs> with embedded in da- data and logic so now we're building twelve factor apps on Salesforce I mean I can't even get a damn programming language with with namespaces but I can build a twelve factor app microservice you know Netflix style on on Salesforce um. Let's see. Okay, a lot of organizations don't have in-house programmers familiar with writing apps for iOS, Android, and other mobile platforms. Most of their skill sets are around Windows. Okay. So I guess, you know, Windows spreadsheet users can now build mobile apps. I'm not sure what what, what they're trying to draw, line they're trying to draw there. These are mainly Salesforce quotes. Um, Enterprises will need to adopt some processes and testing to ensure the safe use of build-your-own applications. So see right there that, so, that but that I like it. That's the, the best statement here. That it brings it back to the pr- practicality here. Yeah, and that, that's where I mean we're going to get a lot of this. We're going to get a lot of this at Dreamforce. We're going to get a lot of this leading up to it of the hype of you can do anything, build anything, drag and drop. There you go. But the reality is, thought has to be taken, care has to be taken, performance has to be considered. There's a lot of things that that have to kind of be taken into account no, when you're doing these. You don't have to worry about that, John. It's it's cloud. It's cloud. Yeah. It's point cloud. Did I die? No, somehow you uploaded yourself to the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one. I like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I still have not. I've, I've played with Lightning, but I really haven't built a ton in it. It's you know. Well, that's my main concern when when Lightning was announced and everything. My my big concern was, yeah, that's great. It's a it's a self contained module of functionality, which is great. But what if the person that wrote that didn't do it in such an efficient way? You know, what yeah. if they're just eating up a ton of resources to get done what you need to get done? And you start dragging that with two other components that does the same thing, you know, also eating up a ton of resources. It kind of reminds me of process builder. You can, okay, sure. A business user can maybe create a process, but they don't, they may not really understand how that affects triggers and limits and all these things. And you can really quickly get yourself into a situation that is actually hard to get yourself out of. Yeah. And not to mention, we are talking mainly a tool that's built for mobile components. I mean, obviously you'll be able to use it with your desktop and all that kind of stuff once they, once the app builder and everything's, well, that's, that's now GA. But, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when we, when we talk mobile, there's a whole new world of consideration there. You have, you know, battery and, you know, bandwidth resources and all those kind of things you have to think about. So it's not, it's not as easy as saying, oh, just drag and drop this component and you can have access to millions of data. Well, if you're trying to download and cache all that locally, you're going to run into some issues with your users and potentially, you know, cost issues. Yeah. And they're eating up bandwidth. Not to mention if these people are, you know, essentially basic Windows users who are building apps. I mean, they probably know nothing about application security. Yeah. And there's just, I don't know, to to try to sweep actual skills under the rug and to say everyone can build apps, it's just... It's not uh, to say that the technology is bad or that it shouldn't be used. It's just that the idea that you're going to be able to do this in a vacuum without, you know, care and feeding and that, you know, someone off the street can just walk in and just go, oh, I'm just going to toss that on there. I mean, the drag and drop portion is easy, but you still have to have someone building components that... Some with some thought. My 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 realistic hope for this is that things like the app exchange for components that you know that marketplace will be something that actually gets some pretty nice components and and hopefully ones that are I'm assuming you can charge right for these components. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great if that thing filled up with lots of really good components that that you know business users or more but more importantly I think or more than I care about people like you and I can tap into this. And when some client comes up with, you know, requirements and we're sitting down, you know, designing some screen or something, we can say, Oh, you know what? I don't have to rebuild that. Uh, I saw that on the component marketplace and go take a look at it. And if it, if it suits your requirements, then Hey, you know, buy instead of build. Right. Can I, can I congratulate you on avoiding the use of the word? There's an app for that. <laughs> <laughs> I so expected you there's in that training thought. I saw it was going, I was going, he's going to say there's an app for that. There's a component for that. There's I guess. an app for that. <laughs> but that, I mean, that would be kind of cool. Uh, Are you ready to head into our uh, lightning round of news? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You're doing the timer. Do we have a, I, I need to get a better intro for this. This is all I have. Salesforce one lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, do you think people will notice that that wasn't me? That that wasn't Mark that said round? Yeah. Oh, dang it. I'm sure you could find him saying round somewhere. Yeah. Anyways. So Lexus, my f- my favorite topic, hoverboard, says they announced that they're going to show it off. They're going to have a some kind of video or something showing someone actually riding the uh, hoverboard on August fifth. I'm excited. So we haven't actually seen anyone doing this yet. No, and I mean we've seen clips of it. You know, just little shots of it coming in and out of it, and then we we saw. Um, the latest one is just showing it hovering and moving on its own. Like someone just kind of gave it a tap and it mm. kind of slowly is moving. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing what we're getting next is someone's actually going to step on it and actually move on it. And we'll see, we'll see the effect. I'm just not that. buying this yet. It's real. I mean, heck if, if 
I have faith. Believe it's real. If 50 years ago we were able to fake the moon landing, then they can certainly fake a, a hoverboard. Nowadays, now the only right? question <laughs> is, if they want to charge like 10 grand for this thing, how am I going to convince my wife that I need this? You're not. Sorry, John. I'll just do it and ask for forgiveness? Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> so uh, Apple's pulling Nest, uh, Nest thermostats from their shelves. Why is that? Because competition is heating up with their home kit versus oh. Google's, uh, what does Google call theirs? Home, no, it's not home kit. It's, uh, either way, we're all competing for, for the home market, for the internet of things of, their, of your home. Yeah. And so Apple has, because they're trying to support their home kit and so they, they're basically pulled those and they're replacing with Acabees. I don't think that's all that bad. That That's like when they pulled Fitbit. My Fitbit. When they pulled Fitbits from their shelves after they launched, um, what was it? I guess the watch, right? Yeah. And when they, after they bought Beats, they, didn't they take away the competitive other headphones from their stores? They might have. As long as they don't rank, uh, rip apps from the app store that compete. Oh, I doubt that. I yeah. mean, that, that's central. They've, they've kind of done stuff like that before. So. Well, they do stuff, well, stuff that competes, I guess, competes directly with them or doesn't offer any value add, I guess, is, what, is the out that they have with that. So, anyways, I don't even know if I pronounced that right. It's either Akobe or Akobe. I don't know. Either way. Move along. Windows 10 is getting released this week. Actually, today. Uh, however, I wasn't able to install it because apparently my VMware Fusion tool that I use to run Windows did not have an update for it, and there's a certain video driver issue that it's, it's not allowing me to install it. Yeah. But um, it, it's an interesting process that they went through with that because they... Obviously, they're not going to just open it up and say, hey, everyone start downloading it and kill their servers. So they kind of came up with this reservation system. So you you go into your Windows, there's an icon you click on, you say reserve my spot, and then they'll email you and let you know when it's going to start downloading, basically. Who's this with, Windows or with Fusion? Windows, sorry. Okay. Yeah, to install Windows. But like I said, I started that whole process. Wait, wait, wait. You have to reserve something? I'm confused. You have to reserve the download. This is all download downloadable software. What is reserving a download? Don't they have CDNs? They're trying to... Yeah. I'm confused. I'm sure. What are you reserving? The bits? The download bits? (laughs) I'm so confused. (laughs) Okay. The way the internet works, Jeremy, is you (laughs) make a request (laughs) to download a file, but if too many people are downloading that file, the server cannot keep up with the request. They have Azure. Are you telling me that Microsoft can't (laughs) allow multiple people to download a file? We're talking about Windows that that runs like on 90% of the devices out in the world. What is is this, like a a, a BBS with banks of modems? I'm just saying. We're talking about gigs of download. That means tying up a a pipe for quite a while. Okay. can't believe you gave me such a hard time on that. That's just embarrassing. I think it's smart. I think it's smart. Rather than to say, oh, crap, our systems got overrun. We weren't expecting this. Now no one can download it. Mm. I think it's smart. I mean, I guess if it was actually a problem, I'm not surprised they couldn't handle. I don't think it wasn't like you were waiting downloads. for long. It was just like, okay, you're queued up to download and it'll start downloading in a bit. Okay. Making me defend Microsoft. I also don't again. like these download managers. Like Adobe has, like you want to install Photoshop or something, you download this like little two meg application that then downloads. It's just a downloader. It's a yeah. program that downloads. It's like really. Uh, Google is trying to think really outside of the box. That's how I titled that. Okay. They are they provide Sri Lanka with a high speed internet access by balloon. So they basically, I guess, float a tower yeah. on a balloon, and that that provides Wi Fi access, which I think is pretty interesting. I. Would never have thought to say we need we need internet in this area. 
of course, my brain goes, let's run a line or something, or a few towers. I mean, that can probably get the balloon high enough that it, it gets uh, covers much more area of, with line of sight. Yeah. That's, that's, just an, that's just creative. That's just, honestly, I never would have thought of, said, stick it on a balloon and float it up there. They should do that in, like, North Korea and China, get them actual internet. <laughs> get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll get shot down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Didn't think of that. Uh, um, Jeremy, I'm hungry. Let's go get something to eat. Okay. Where are we going? I don't know. Let's find <laughs> out a place that's not too busy. How do we do that? Well, we ha- we already have our secret spots that we <laughs> we know about, but well, Google wants to help us out. They they their app, their uh, Google search app, now apparently will try attempt to tell you how what times a business is busiest. So they'll they'll now have, they'll now have this, and I guess it's coming and rolling out slowly. So you'll you'll see it in some places, and maybe not, but you'll be able to see you know a trend line that says you know hey it's. 12 o'clock, they're at their max. They're usually really busy at this point. And where are they getting that data from? That's what's interesting because I don't know. My assumption is they're they're not relying on the restaurants to tell them. They're relying on check-ins, maybe even Wi-Fi whenever you Mm -hmm. say, can can this app use this current location? Right. They might have access to that information as well. So I mean, it's Google. They know everything, right? (laughs) They know everything about you. They know where you're at, what you're doing. I mean, I don't, the thing I don't like about that is it's not real time. It's like, like, what if your traffic? Does it really need to be real time? What if traffic data on your mapping application was? Well, it's usually not very busy on this road, but there happens to be a wreck there. Well, that doesn't help you that much. Yeah, but I mean, for the most part, it's consistent. Yeah, I mean, a place is busy consistently. I, we, you could, we could talk. We talk about lunch, okay? We talk about going someplace, and we know that if we don't leave by eleven thirty, X Y Z is going to be packed. True. I think it's this is probably more helpful. Like, say you're traveling and you don't know which places are going to be busy or not. Maybe yeah, it helps you with that. Or maybe maybe you want a place that's busy. Maybe you want a place that's got that people are going to and has some traffic and you know isn't dead. You ever walk into a restaurant where it's like noon at, at lunchtime and it's empty and you're like, uh, what are we in store for here? Is right. this a secret spot no one knows about or is this place really bad? Yep. Check it out. I don't like that bell. This is your topic. <laughs> Which what are we on here? Adobe. Oh, yeah. Some some one of these some research firm. Let's see if I can find it. Ovum. You ever heard of Ovum or Ovum? O v u m. No, I couldn't even find this report. They released some report, and some of these you know low low quality news aggregators picked it up. But supposedly, this report has found Adobe to be the overall market leader for digital marketing platforms followed closely by IBM, Oracle, and then Salesforce. SaaS and Teradata are market challengers, and the new market entrant Marketo is a follower. So this is a $5 billion a year business. That's interesting. That's not very big. I mean, imagine if Salesforce had just a quarter of that. That would be, what, one and a, one and a quarter billion? Um, oh, it's, I'm, the thing is, I'm sure that's a massively growing market right mm. and whatever um so it says many lent- vendors still lack an integrated e-commerce proposition and have underinvested in social media capabilities this is all i mean so every time i read this these things i'm like okay that's kind of interesting but i just don't know about all these marketing things it's just the thing i found fasc- fascinating about it is that one companies like salesforce mm-hmm. have when did they a couple of years ago they just started really heavily investing in Mainly via acquisition. So there was Exact Target, um, Par Pardot, Pardo. 
depending on if you're French or not. Um, what was the other one? Uh, Radiant Six, Buddy, right? They just started swooping up all these marketing firms. And then you had the, you know, the Omniture Adobe thing, you know, so Adobe bought into this and, mm-hmm. and now they're like this the report finds they're, they're really kicking, kicking some major butt here. But, you know, just, I don't know, this, this seems to be one of these areas where you've got this war that just keeps escalating. Everyone's buying everyone and it seems to be. Well, it's almost like, I mean, I remember back then when, when Microsoft was acquisition heavy and they were just buying up everybody, mainly competition. But this is a, this is an, and it's just an, an industry and it's a new industry. Like the, the digital marketing is a new thing. And especially the way the tools have gotten so much more sophisticated, like the sophistication in these tools is, is just increasing exponentially over the past few years. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, cause, cause marketing has changed so much. I mean, we're not, we're not glued to magazines or newspapers anymore. We're glued to screens and a lot of different types of screens. So yeah. trying to get your stuff in front of eyeballs is, is increasingly difficult and complex. Yeah dinging this topic all right is mark benioff a supervillain probably that's the question of the day (laughs) that is the question of the day okay why is that so the verge made an interesting very interesting uh train of thought i'll call it so the the new uh lex luther came out so the 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 luther of batman versus superman okay and it's um uh what's his name the guy that played mark zuckerberg what is his name i don't know i don't know who that was oh jesse eisenberg okay oh, okay yeah so he's the new lex luther and the way they portraying him in this movie as a young tech executive he looks weird he, I he's, didn't got, even he's got the long him. hair yeah. he's, he's not wearing a typical suit he's got jeans he's got cons converse on he's got you know just a t-shirt with an image on it you know not the typical business suit you know tie all that kind of stuff you would think of normal big business so, so they made this line of thought. He's a, that, he's a typical Silicon Valley douchebag CEO, right? <laughs> so they made this train of thought that, well, you know, you know, back in the day, and Nazis and and you know, whoever else were our villains of our of all of our superheroes, they were the ones they put in that role. And yeah. now it's you know the the tech CEOs, right? So I thought that was fun. That was funny. Well, but so what? How? Do, oh, because Benioff's a tech CEO, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Interesting. I see never lightning round. No, he's again. He's he's so out in front of any of those negative connotations. He'll, he'll never get <laughs> the closest thing was uh, what was it? Um, you, know, you don't think Benioff has a secret layer somewhere? I'm, I think he's got them strategically located all throughout the world. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> no, that um, the funniest analogy he's a, was he's got a volcano. He, he he probably owns an island somewhere, and that island probably has a volcano. Super probably villain. so. Yeah, I bet it does. I'm just going to list out all the reasons Vinioff is a supervillain. Now, remember when, um, who was it that... He has henchmen? Who was it that compared him to, he, that said he was the Ron Burgundy of tech? The Ron, I don't remember that. <laughs> That's the Ron Burgundy. Was, I think it was, I think it was like Valley Wag or yeah. one of those. Um, Anyways. Yeah. So I had, a, I had an interesting day yesterday. I had to uh, downgrade a yeah. managed package. That was a fiasco. Have you ever had to do that? No. There's a, really no... A few th- people have kind of, you know, said, yeah, that's happened before. Yeah, we've had to deal with that, and it sucks. And, and you know, in the throes of it, in the throes of having to deal with downgrading something, because you, you think, oh, well, surely we can just install the old version over that version, and, and we'd be okay. Well, it doesn't work that way. You have to uninstall it, and then reinstall it. And, and then- part of me, part of me is thinking, oh, this sucks. There should be a way to do this. There should be a way to roll back, and all this kind of stuff, but... 
the more rational side of me going, well, that's kind of hard. You'd basically have to do everything I just did manually that took hours and hours and somehow automate that. And how do you do that? Because the problem, well, I, I the problem t- with I this can tell you, one, I can tell you the, with, you know, modern engineering and platforms, how you would do it, but I don't know how do you do it in the Salesforce world. It's, I don't think it's just a Salesforce thing though. I think it's a cloud issue in general. I mean, you're talking about, you're not talking about, okay. If, read, read, in the your net, scenario, read the Netflix tech, tech blog. There's some of their blogs on how they do this kind of stuff all the time. But they basically replace their system, don't they? They, they completely revert back to the previous state? Yes. Because I was actually going to tell you, these are my thoughts on how this happens in the real world. Right. If you look at OSs and things like that, snapshots are created. So if you're going about to do something major, there's an automatic backup done in the system at that point in time. And then if you decide you need to roll that back, it pulls that and rolls it back. But how do you do that in a cloud environment where you've got hundreds of, of thousands of people on, on a pod? So this is, this, is the co- this is one common technique. So you bring up your new version. Your old mm. version is still running. Bring up your new version. Then you have a smart load balancer and you start moving traffic to your new version. And if everything, or, or all of it, just flip, flip it over. And if something goes bad, you just modify your load balancer and flip back to the old version, which is still running. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's one technique. It doesn't work for everything. Yeah. Um, Man, that, that, yeah, I don't know. That seems like it works, but it seems like during that period of everyone transitioning, there, there, there's a lot could happen. That's true. And there's also, I mean, imagine you do, you release a new version and it does a database migration. So it's, you know, adding new tables, modify, you know, splitting tables up, modifying yeah. things. How do you roll that back? And so, but usually, you know, when you create your database, database migration scripts, if that's important to you, then you also have, you either have snapshotted your data and you revert back to your previous data set, or you, you run your migration in reverse. Hmm. But I mean, all these things you can't do with Salesforce. Is it something Salesforce can do? You can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> We're not ready for that round yet. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess my training thought is that this seems like a really difficult problem to solve. How do you solve it? And then how do you solve it in a cloud environment? I mean, we're barely getting to the point where you can remove things from managed packages. I mean, managed packages are just well, no, a this, lot of this limitations. Wasn't, They're hard to work with. This isn't necessarily the managed package's fault itself. This is a, I need to modify and return this system to a previous state. And this is an issue that we all kind of think about whenever, anytime we're doing any major deployment or major release right. or installing all these applications. Well, I mean, okay, so take managed packages out of the picture, packages in general. Mm-hmm. If, let's say you back up all your metadata, then you deploy your new metadata, and something goes wrong, you just redeploy your old metadata. That doesn't solve for the fact that data got manipulated, fields got deleted, which also caused data loss. It, it doesn't account for any of that stuff. No, so you'd have to do some kind of reverse data migration to get your data and that, back that in the that to state. me is not a rollback. That's a... Well, it's not rebuilding a, of the system. It's not, an a, auto, it's not an automated one, that's for sure. It's, yeah. not, it's not a great way to do it. Yeah. Also, I mean, the Salesforce, so in a, again, a normal, in normal software development, you, you keep migrations, which are essentially collections of SQL scripts that migrate your database forward to new versions. Right. Right. You can't do that with Salesforce. You don't have those. Yeah, but again, right. this is a different. This is a whole different world, though. Than than nor, having full control of your database, full right. control of your software system, right. your application, all, having access right. to the direct direct access to the so, files. So having this plat- platform that Salesforce has built gets you all kinds of advantages, right? But what, now what we're talking about is these are just yeah, all these disadvantages. Say, yeah, we're saying this is a con of, of that type of environment. Right. But is it is it a solvable 
problem. It's solvable with enough money and, and resources and people. Yeah. Smart people. Smarter than you and I. That aren't busy building <laughs> more useless features on Chatter. <laughs> where that came no, from just, just saying it's all about allocating people to the I right, to the right problems I haven't taken a jab at chatter in a while let me just stick that <laughs> yeah, one in exactly. there screw you chatter <laughs> right oh. um, yeah it's it's it's, um, it's tough when you were dealing with a managed package though that's it, it's even harder because you have even yeah. less control over what's going on I don't know what you do because when you let's say your managed package added custom has custom objects that are part of it and you've filled those with a bunch of data when you uninstall the managed package those objects go away and yeah. you lose all that data so you'd have to dump all your data out then well, sales yeah and salesforce does try to make that easy for you it does will tr attempt to back up the data that it's about to remove right however you just have to load it back in after however right. i i just i i was reminded once again why you never trust the salesforce backups because it's not in a, it's not in a format that you would expect, and in fact, in this particular case, it actually made some interpretations because it writes everything to CSV, mm -hmm. and I don't think the way Salesforce writes CSV is correct. Hmm. I don't think they make the right kind of escapes or or sequences and oh. things like that because it actually stripped out some very critical returns, and I don't think it really escaped quotes very well. Oh, that's not that's not good. So when I reloaded it, I went, "Oh, well, Salesforce has this backup. I'll uh, I'll re I'll use that one." to re-import the data. Well, it imported, but it imported it incorrectly because of that. Fortunately, I was smart enough or have screwed myself quite often in the past enough to know to have multiple backups. Mm. So right before this happened, I had downloaded a bunch of data using different tools that actually preserved everything correctly. And so I was able to use those to actually re-import everything and, and get everything back to the state it was in. So we were good. Yeah. But for a while there, I was just pulling my hair out trying to figure out why is this not working? Why is it having this weird issue? And why is this weird error is occurring? And I finally dug down to the data itself and saw that it had actually manipulated it. Now, from the point that you discovered this problem until the point you solved it, how many hours did you spend on this? Uh, probably a good hour, hour and a half. Just, oh, that was it? Oh, that, no, that, no, no, no. From the whole, the, the whole sequence of events took probably about five to six hours to, to correct. Okay. It, it took maybe a couple of minutes to break and then... If, Five hours to fix, yep. but a lot of that was because we had we have a lot of dependencies on this package, so I had to go through and modify and change, remove the dependencies in a lot of places. Fortunately, a lot of it was in Visual Force, so I could easily kind of modify those in production. Yeah, um, I did have to deploy a couple of items, which was painful because this was a really big org, and it took thirty minutes, I guess, to deploy to finish running all the unit tests, which is another issue. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, all that all that does is add to the stress of sitting there having to wait for this to run and hope, fingers crossed, that there's no unit test error. Right, because if if there is, then you're starting all over again. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was well. Hopefully uh, that doesn't happen again. Oh, it will. I know. Hopefully it won't happen for a while. <laughs> That's life, man. It's what gives us these wonderful stories to tell when when we run into these issues. Yeah. Hey, John, do you hear that? Listen real carefully. <laughs> Time to talk about squid. All right, more squid. More so squid. You, so you've you've actually got your hands on bonsai now, right? I did. So I saw you playing with it. It looks cool. Yeah. No, it's really. Like they cool. have a nice UI for building. It looks. I mean, at least just at a glance, that's all I saw. Yeah. What you saw was actually new. So they have. We'll start with there. We had. They have. 
I guess they're calling it a composer. Maybe they've always called it a composer, but I always just call it the squid builder. But it, now it's officially called this the composer. And um, it has a new dark and light view. And the dark view I love. Everything's much cleaner and, and easier. And then the navigation for how you navigate between the modules and all that kind of stuff looks cleaner and, and much nicer. Um, so I really enjoyed using the composer. I really enjoyed using it. Cool. Hold on. I think I'm going to sneeze. Uh-oh. I'm trying not to. See if I have any music I can play. Um, <laughs> oh, you ever have one of those? It no, just play our game show music for a while. <laughs> will he or will he not sneeze? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sneeze. I, I suppressed it. Uh, and it burns. You know when you're trying to hold back a sneeze and it just burns in your sinuses? I hate sneezing. Mm. I took my allergy medicine this morning. I did too. But it didn't help. Anyway, so... I picked out a few things that, that I really enjoyed and you were sitting there going, what, what, as I was looking at this, cause I would sit here and go, oh, wow, that's cool. Oh, wow. I really like that. You have that talking to yourself. Oh, that's really like nice. a crazy person. I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the, one of the things I noticed is that component IDs for components are now required. So, so when previously you've always been able to add a unique ID for a component and then you could reference that in, in any other, you know, JavaScript or whatever you needed to. And now they made that required. And it'll auto-generate an ID for you. So I thought that was pretty nice because now everything's kind of typed. You know, it's all named and everything has all IDs, which is always great. Man, my allergies are bugging me. I'm having, I'm having mm. trouble holding a breath. Yeah. Like I'm having to like turn away and take a deep breath. I don't mm. know why. It's just my allergies are bugging me. Sorry. Take a deep breath, John. It's going to be okay. <sighs> Go to your happy place. <laughs> no, I really feel like I can't breathe. I don't know why. I feel like I... Like I'm only taking a few breaths. Try to try to focus on deep breaths, slower deep, deep breaths. breaths. It's an anxiety attack. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Your eyes laughs> Calm <big>. down. <laughs> have you known people that have anxiety attacks or yeah. something? Anyways, panic attacks. Getting back to squid. Um, so one thing I really like is there's a greater focus on uh, responsive design. So they have a lot of new components. Like they have this responsive grid component now. Um, a lot of the Previously, when you could specify a size for something, it was all in pixels. Mm -hmm. So you didn't get a really choice. You just said, okay, it's 400. And that would mean it was 400 pixels. You didn't even get to say PX. You just say 400. Mm -hmm. Now, um, on most components, when you're trying to define size, especially the, I guess what was called the panel, I forgot, some kind of panel it was called. And now, now this new grid, grid panel, responsive grid. Those will let you specify not only pixels but percentages ems and you know all the other supported different types so now you have greater flexibility from a ui perspective of changing that before what i'd have to do is give it a class name and then go into css and and change it there is it ems or ems i don't know i always call them ems what do you call the letter just the letter the that letter looks, that looks like this i don't know what you're drawing look m yeah okay that's how you say it so those are M's. It represents the width of an, of an M. That's what an M is. But I hear people call it EMs as well. Well, because so it's EM. I know. That's the way it's, right. That's the way it's spelled. You do 100 E, or not 100. 100 EM is huge. Right. <laughs> One like or five two M's. EMs. It's called, five I think M's. it's pronounced M's, but I don't know. That's, we should look that up. I've always said M's because it, it represents the width of an M in whatever oh. font you're using. I never knew that. You learn something every day. Full of useless I know. trivia. It is, and it's quite useless too. My <laughs> friends always tell me that. Um, oh, one thing to note about the responsive grid, and there's actually a note 
on the component itself, so on the little help icon for the component, is that it's not doesn't support IE nine or less. So you know you're good. Yeah, I'm like fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. However, upgrades. I mean you can use Squid for public facing stuff. Um, so you know for that you might have to be take into consideration your audience and what browser they're using. Yeah. So that's the only other consideration for it. most internal stuff. You, it probably doesn't matter because everyone's using Firefox, Chrome, or something else, or the new Windows Edge. What do they call that? Anyways. Edge? I digress. Yeah, edge, right? No, I think they changed the name. Again? Yeah. That was just a code name, so they changed it to something else. It could just be Windows Internet or something. I don't know. It used uh, to just be called Internet. Remember that? Like in the IE4 days or whatever? Internet. internet. Yeah. You click on the little globe. I need the button for the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a new global search tool, which is kind of really nice. I actually built something similar recently. And so it's nice that this got included because now that made all my work useless. <laughs> At least when this comes released. Doesn't that make you feel good about yourself? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I'm a little nervous because they kind of coded me out of some things right. here. But, but no, they this actually... This is Salesforce new global search? No, no this is Squid, oh, squid. Add, adding a global search component. And it uses the Saucel in the background. Okay. It does, so really, it does so in a really nice way. You get to define what objects are queried, right. you know, whether you're searching name fields or all fields, all mm. those kind of things, and then what fields to return for those objects. And then um, it displays a list and you can tell it, you can specify an action. So you can say, okay, when the user clicks on one of these list entries, you know, what do you want me to do? And so you can have it run an action or, or you know, pretty much any of the actions that they, they enabled. And that, that includes, I didn't even mention this, this that includes the, uh, what was that? Uh, invocable methods solution that they uh, teased out okay. that we talked about. Mm. And that's in there. I was able to, I, when I loaded into that environment, it was the same environment that I tested my code at previously. And then in my invocable method, it actually show up. So that was kind of cool. I have a, uh, speaking of global search, can I ask a quick question to you? No. Well, what if someone said, hey, um, we, don't want, we don't want tasks to show people to be able to search for tasks. So if you go to global search and you search for something, we want it to not show tasks. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, if you're using this tool, you would... No, no. It's just Salesforce. Oh, well, yeah. I don't but, know. I, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I know for objects that have like tabs, if, uh-huh. if the user doesn't have access to the tab... But tasks doesn't get... Its own tab, it's, right? No, it's not, it's, a, it's not a private model. In fact, that's one of the issues with tasks is that you can't isolate tasks. In it's, fact, they even tried setting tasks to being private because you can, in, in security setup, sharing model stuff... You can you can set tasks to be private, but the problem is is I think most tasks are associated to another object. <laughs> are you irresponsibly ticking me for something? <laughs> I ticked out of nervous habit. Uh, Sorry, but you get a tick for that. <laughs> um, yeah. What was I saying? Global search. Global search and tasks and privacy. Yeah, so you can set tasks to being completely private, but if, they're, if the task is associated to, say, an account that people have access to, then they, get, they, see, they yeah. see that task. So yeah, that's, it's you not can't like make a, tasks private. You can't it like make, make it sense. an isolated private, you know, one person can only see right. this type thing. It's, it's all based on what it's related to and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, okay. Well, you can move on. I just thought I would ask that. I'm sure our admin friends out there are like, oh, I know exactly how to yeah, do that. Yeah, if someone knows, that'd be great. 
But in Squid, if you want to do that with this search component, you just not pick tasks. Right. And you just wouldn't search it. Right. Um, so, and there's this new navigation feature, which I really like. It's basically a bar. And what I wasn't prepared for was what it, some of the default values it had. I assumed you could create your custom navigation links. So you'd be able to create a custom link that said, hey, go to the account page or whatever. But it actually takes it a step further and it'll dupl- it'll say, you can say, make this navigation for the Salesforce tabs. So you can basically get rid of the Salesforce tabs completely if you don't like them and just ha- have it mirror that. And so now that's incorporated into your applicate your squid application and you don't have to have the Salesforce tabs up. Which means you could even hide the global search and use Squid's global search instead. Yeah. Um, but it'll also do apps. So it'll actually it'll create a navigation out of apps. So your little drop down app thing can now be that. And then they took it a step further from that and said, okay, apps with with tabs. So it's basically the app is 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 lined up like a menu. And when you hover over that menu, you get the drop down of all the tabs that are within that. So you get kind of more of a drop down menu style feature. Which I think is pretty good. Yeah. I'm just having a really hard time following this. But. <laughs> it's a lot to it's because it's all visual, so it's hard to kind of yeah. it's hard to describe in a way that I'm just really glad that Squid has become a, a sponsor. That's really nice. <laughs> wait, wait. They have, they're not a sponsor? No. We have no sponsors. What are we doing? We have no sponsors. <laughs> we're talking about products and things that we're excited about. Yeah. No, I'm just playing with you. Um, there's a new wrapper component, and that will actually... All it is is basically a way to say, for this group of components, apply these styles to them. And it allows you to kind of point and click the style information that you want. Um, and that's kind of as far as I got with the components. I, I did do some new layouts and everything, so I tried out the new master page layout. So it basically lets you... And that actually surprised me as well. It surprised me big time. And I really, really like what they did with that. So you can define a master page. And this is basically your template for the app. So you can define the header navigation and any other kind of features you want. And then you can create a child page for that. And within that master page, you define a region. And that region is the only thing that's editable for the child page. So whenever you create a page that's based on a master page, and I know this is hard to follow, but you, you, have, you create your child page and all your components are in that child page. Okay? Okay. And that means that across your app that, they're, that are all using the same master page, they'll have the same header, the same everything else. But what surprised me is you also have access to the same model. So if you have models defined in your master page, you'll have access to those in your child pages. That's somewhat of a template, I guess, or something? Yeah, it's almost okay. like a template, yeah. Like includes? You see everything in the master page, which is really nice as well. It's not like you're working virtually and you don't see what you have access to. You see everything. You see the, the models that are in the master page. They're read-only. So they're kind of you know grayed out. You can't really interact with them, but you know they're there. And yeah. you can access fields from it, and you can do all sorts of things with it. So it, it, it's really nice. Because a lot of things, a lot of the things I have a challenge with is the fact that I'm tra- creating these multi-level applications where there's a main part of the application, but there's a lot of child screens involved. It's the concept of creating a single page, a what a single page application, I guess what appears to be a single page application yeah. where everything's kind of just kind of moving in and out dynamically. Mm-hmm. One of the problems you deal with today is that you have to be very specific about your names because as it pulls in models from other things, those names... They're not technically overwritten, but when you try to access that model by name, it picks the first one it finds in the model. All your other components work fine because they're directly, they have a direct reference to the model. So if you have page one, 
that loads in page two. Both of them have a model called account. In JavaScript, when you go to say, hey, get me the account model, it's probably going to pull page two because that's the, that's the one it last found. Mm. Sounds sloppy. Uh, I don't know if it's sloppy or just a... An unintended consequence of being able to load these pages dynamically through Ajax. Um, But I don't know. In those those cases, where I have a single-page application and where I might have the same model in both places, I I might now be able to say, well, that model's here. I don't have to recreate that for here. It's a child page. I have access to it. It's done. Mm. This should also help with performance and loading and everything as well. (sighs) I'm almost done. (laughs) It's a big release. There's a lot to talk about. And I haven't even gotten to to a lot of the features. Some of the features were a little buggy and I didn't get a chance to try them out. They were either buggy or I didn't know how to use the feature. One of those two was happening, but I couldn't get very far with um, charting and the new chart sets, and I couldn't get very far with the new virtual fields on the models, so I'll talk about that some other time. Um, one new feature that I really like about that they added to tabs is they added new hooks to tabs. So now I can run some code before a tab is rendered or after the tab is rendered, which is nice because I kind of had to virtually accomplish that by hooking into the event system of the tab and then you know try to roll my own. So that was kind of nice. Mm. <sighs> Take a deep breath. <laughs> I got through it. <laughs> that was bonsai. All right. Um, okay. Do you copy? Yes. Do you copy and paste? Yes. I tried to implement a copy and paste the other day. I was uh, coding something up, and there's a part of the app requirements that says the user needs to be able to copy and paste this URL. And um, mainly because they need to be able to, you know, either stick it on an email to a customer or, you know, something. They need to put it somewhere. Okay. So I, so I, I, put, it, I put it on the screen and you can, of course, highlight it. I made sure it wasn't a link. It was just text so that they could just easily copy it without accidentally clicking on it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll put a, a button on here that says copy. I saw GitHub do that and I thought, that's a really nice feature. I'll do that. Yeah, you know, the way that web apps have or pages or whatever have traditionally implemented this as a, as a little invisible flash um, It's plugin. still the way they have it, to it's do it. Still, okay. Yeah. Th- that's why I'm bringing I've it up. I've done that before and it's just I, terrible. I was completely unprepared for the fact that this is not something you can do in browsers. There's no API for it yet that well, I know Well, there's an of. HTML5 spec event system for it, but okay. no one implements it because it's a huge... I, I'm, security. It's a huge security issue. Yep. Um, and then researching on, on wh- why can't I just copy this text and stick it in the clipboard. I came across a bunch of articles and people, you know, talking about, you know, getting, getting that command hijacked or even just not even actively trying to copy anything, just having things just hijacked and stuck in your clipboard. I like how it's a major security problem, but just dropping a, l- a little invisible flash thing on it. I know. It gets right around it. <laughs> I know. And that's, that's what I was going to. I was like, everyone's talking about how this is such a bad thing, yet ev- everyone's kind of implemented this back-end flash solution that, that does it. Yeah. Do you know where um, places where Salesforce still has Flash? No. Um, you don't know of any? Well, I know that some of the, they still use some of that Adobe Air stuff for like that uh, oh, query Chatter. tool and Chatter. What query tool? Uh, they had this kind of force.com query tool. I think it was official Salesforce Labs thing that they came out with, and that was running on Air. Um, and of course, Chatter. Yeah, the 
what is it? I'm not even sure what they call it now. It might be called like, I'm sure it's chat or something. Chatter files or chatter. I don't know. It used to be um, content, I think. But there's a thing that lets you preview the content. Oh. And that is a flash component still. I think it is. I had to like, I kind of had to like not hack into it, but do some really hacky stuff with it once. Yeah. It was gross, but it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just, I just never realized that copying was such an issue. Yeah. It's just, yeah, there's not an API for it yet. So yeah. And I didn't want to create a dependency on flash. So yeah, I ended up not doing that. So sorry, users. I couldn't provide you a quick little Mm. copy button. Yep. Maybe next year. Come, come. <laughs> try again next year. I'll try again next year. All right. You can't do this with Salesforce. Yeah, this is our what's, lightning. What's your idea of the week? Well, before I get to the, the idea of the week, I wanted to mention that uh, Salesforce has decided they want to thank the community for their ideas as well. So now they want to ba- basically, when an idea gets published, or an I- I'm sorry, not published, when an idea gets implemented, and it shows up in the release notes and everything for that particular release. They say, and I'm not exactly sure how they're going to do this, whether it's Twitter or blog posts or whatever, but they're going to start um, thanking the people who created the idea. So if you go in and create an idea and it gets somehow implemented in Salesforce, they'll, they'll send you a shout out. Okay, great. <laughs> you don't seem excited about that idea. Um, I'd be excited if they would fix some of the bugs that I've reported to them. Well, if they fix your bugs and they thank you for it, then you'd be excited, right? I don't think that's, I don't think either of those things are going to happen, unfortunately, based on the most recent case comment I got today. <laughs> You're so negative, man. I'm not the one that's negative. It's just that you can't deploy page layouts if you have person accounts and they don't, that it's just not a high priority thing for them. And so they won't give me any kind of date on it. They said manually edit your page layouts is the workaround. That's the viable workaround for them. Mm. That's I'm like, crappy. serious? Do you know how many page layouts I have that have person accounts fields on them? So. Does, does Allison know about your, your person account problem? I don't know. Probably, <laughs> I think she does. I'm sure she does. She's such an advocate of them. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got seven or eight open, open cases related to the bugs in the metadata API right now. Hmm. All right. So what, what is our idea of the week, John? This is you. Um, so this one is uh, Andrew Fawcett again, I think. Oh, you didn't mention, John, that Salesforce, that when they, where they uh, announced that they would be thanking, thanking us for our wonderful ideas. I just did. But you didn't, you didn't uh, mention that they posted that on their Medium account. Oh, yeah. I didn't think that mattered. Yeah, because... Oh, it's on Medium. <laughs> <laughs> I should have started with that. Then you could have used your clip. I don't know. Who was that guy? Where did we get that clip from? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Play it one more time. Uh, oh, it's on medium. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds a little so, pretty. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Some dork. Some dork. Some nerd. <laughs> All right. Some nerd trying to be cool. Uh, so yeah, Andrew Fawcett, another one of his ideas, support native Apex or a- native ugh, title. Native Apex support for custom permissions. That's his idea. <laughs> so, so the idea is that whenever you're trying to determine whether or not a user has access to a particular record, they have the, um, the there's a formula, cool, uh, formula expression called permission. And so you could use that in your pages to determine whether or not there's, um, the user has access to that. 
It's in visual force, right? Right. It's yeah. in visual force. And all he's asking for is to carry that over into uh, Apex. Um, the S- Salesforce product management did kind of respond back and say, that's a great idea. We want to carry that over, but it's a big, pr- bigger problem than you think because the permission visual force is based on the single user context. And when you start putting things into Apex, you have to bulkify it, basically. Um, but he's not even asking for it to be bulkified. He's still asking for it to be based on just a single current user. It's not bulkified. It's just that, well, if you're talking about triggers, triggers always run in system context. Well, it, it's a matter... No, it's a... We're talking everything. about user access to data. We're right, talking about permissions to access... What does it have to do with whether you something's bulkified or not, though? Because you, cause then you're getting to the realm of ownership, not not the current user. Or okay. wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm thinking about this wrong. I think you're crossing some. I wires. am crossing some wires. Yeah, and I think they crossed my wires because of the way the way they responded. <laughs> Could be because I think yeah he responded back. Man, he resp- I'm just not on point today, am I? <laughs> he responded back saying, you know, I'm I'm only talking about the current user context. That's the only thing I care about is whether or not they have access. to Right. This. Okay, that makes sense. So that is my idea of the week because I support that, it. I think it's a great that's idea. Good. Yeah, I mean that reminds me of in so Visual Force Actions. Right. They're available. Through Visual Force, and there's they're actually available through Apex too, but and I haven't tried in a couple of years, so this could but forever they've been so buggy that you their their Apex implementations mm-hmm. you just can't use. Like if you create or if you grab an, an action, there's like a method on it that you can get. You can I guess get a a page reference or something because you're basically you're looking to get the URL for that action, right? Right. And there's really no other than hard coding these those URLs which you're not supposed to do, right? Because those aren't guaranteed, they're not published whatever. You can use these the actions in Apex. But when you when you would try to build one and then get the URL from it, it just would uh, you know, yeah. unspecified errors. So maybe those have been fixed. Um one more thing to note about this idea is that it is apparently accomplishable, but you have to do multiple queries to do it, at least two queries. To, what is to permit, get the result? Permissions? Yes. It is possible. It is possible. Okay. But you have to you have to you have to query the system for it. And I guess what he's asking for here is is to get a um I'm so out of it today. Mm. I apologize. <laughs> I cannot get a train of thought out. It was that it was that six hour it was. rollback you I'm did drained yesterday. mentally. I'll just be honest with everyone. I'm drained mentally. I haven't been sleeping well. I'm always tired. I know everyone keeps saying, you sound tired, man. What's going on? You got but, a bunch of MVP stuff going on. It's <laughs> just a meeting. <laughs> and then one tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I'm going to tr- try to save this. I'm going to try to save this, this All right. segment. All right. Um, but, but when we talk about native support, we talk about you know, being able to use metadata calls or some kind of supported call that doesn't, doesn't cost you your, your, any, any of your limits, mm, basically. Yeah. You know, this is something you're going to have to do. You're going to have to do it regularly. You're probably have to do it across tra- transactions. You don't want to have to query every time to do this. So when we talk about things like, can we have native support of this? We're really talking about, can we have a way to do this that doesn't incur the wrath of these limits? Yep. So. Yeah, Salesforce development, it's uh, governor limit engineering. It's efficiency. It's being efficient. Trying to put the positive spin on it. Yep. Mr. Negative. It is what it is. <laughs> we're up to your topic because my next topic was components. And we're to cover that. Oh, okay. And so um, Amazon released their most recent quarterly earnings. And the real shocker in there was the AWS numbers. So if you remember, we talked about this a few months ago. 
they never they never divulged their AWS numbers. They were just they were lumped under other. So you didn't know what all was in there and whether because what people have always wondered is how big is AWS and it, is it profitable or or whatever. And what we found out, you know, a quarter ago was that it was what a four or five billion dollar business and was and was actually fairly profitable. Um, well, so they've announced their new results, and for the June, so this is the June quarter, I guess. Uh, AWS sales soared more than eighty percent to one point eight billion. Last year it was just a billion, so now it's a. What does that make it a, about an eight billion dollar business? And profit was three hundred. No, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, and profit for the quarter was three hundred ninety one million dollars, which was up four hundred percent from from last year. So that thing is just growing like crazy. Um, there was a, this is another, they, but it's is it is it profitable? I mean, we talk about an industry being Three, huge, three hundred ninety one million dollars in profit, or is that just revenue? No, that's pro- the revenue was two billion, a one point eight billion. Okay, okay, yeah. So actually, hugely profitable, especially yeah. for what's supposed to be a commodity business, right? right? AWS is constantly dropping prices. They're you know kind of the Walmart, I guess of of cloud com- uh, compute and storage services, but they're, you know, amazingly profitable here. Um, so, it's so I, funny. Every time I think about Amazon starting out as a book selling warehouse company to now this. Yeah. They're just, they just sell books, right? Isn't, yeah. that, what, isn't that what they do over there? Yeah. Um, so there's an, an analyst, t- TBR analyst. Um, he says, uh, AWS will lead a, a niche market. Largely because of, oh, they have a hybrid issue. So one of, the, I guess, their challenges is that they're having to compete with, the, like, I guess, Microsoft and even Oracle now and some of these that are, that are claiming to be able to do hybrid cloud really well. And AWS just doesn't, you know, it's like not one of their big pushes. Uh, and unlike Microsoft and others, including Salesforce, I think you could put in here, um, they don't have a software as a service applications. Oh, yeah, it says like Salesforce, right? What's interesting about that is in further down, in short, applications carry higher, like software service applications carry higher margins. They're more profitable than infrastructure alone, which are these commodity, just AWS type of things. Mm-hmm. And these, these software as a service applications pay the freight at companies like Microsoft and Salesforce, I'm quoting here. Uh, I could argue that the longtime perception that AWS was a loss leader for Amazon turned out to be a mis- misperception, completely untrue. AWS has likely been profitable for some time. Um, it is fair to say that applic- applications are more margin-rich than base-level computing and storage services. But it's interesting. If that's the case, if applications are so profitable in this compared to these, mm-hmm. you know, commoditized, low-profit low compute, you know, storage, infrastructure as a service, why is AWS able to make crap tons of money on this and Salesforce is still struggling? Salesforce has all these you know, supposedly high profit software as a service applications. It's interesting though that it's this vo- it's volume though. I mean, AWS is supporting half the world of SaaS applications themselves. Yeah, but on a very low profit, it's a very low profit service. Supposedly, I mean, I'm just I'm kind of questioning that that perception because I think I think what Salesforce is doing, Salesforce feels they have to do, which is constantly be acquiring, building new features. I mean, now Salesforce does like everything. There's Salesforce does a million different things now. And I feel like they've had, they, they've always had to keep reinvesting what would have been profit back into the business. Well, because I mean, building good software takes, takes a lot of money because you have to hire some really talented people to do that. I mean, would, 
you're talking about hardware, I'm not saying you don't have ta- talented people managing the hardware, but a lot of it, the scaling and mm-hmm. growing of that is going down, buying, clicking on a shopping cart and buying more stuff and installing it. Right. It's not, I know I'm downplaying it. I'm just making it seem like it's super easy, but it's not, it's not software engineering where you're trying to build and, you know, engineer features. Yeah. But the, the Salesforce is a, is a, should, you know, a, a an application or a app, you know, software as a service application, it's this proprietary software, it's high margin. Uh, you know, they can get literally 150 bucks a user a month for it or whatever it is. And AWS is just, this is a commodity. I mean, it's just servers and racks, right? That anyone can, you know, start a business doing and ton, you know, tons have. But it's just, it's just weird yeah, though. But I think if you have the right, if you have the right infrastructure at a certain point, the volume picks up and, and you hit, you, you kind of hit the, the peak and you're, you're, you're now you're downhill. Except that so are your competitors and, and, and it's the barrier to entry is really low. I mean, you can't just go copy Salesforce's source code, but you can totally just go and, you know, rack some servers and get in business, right? I mean, that's, that's what they're arguing here. Obviously, obviously the, dy- the dynamics of the software as a service business are different right now. Yes, they're, yes, it's a higher margin, should be a higher margin service, but because it's such a, again, I, I think there's a land grab going on here. Like Salesforce feels like they've got Oracle, they've got SAP, they've got Microsoft that they're competing against, and they've got to get out in front and be this leader. And that just is taking, it's taken all the oxygen, you know, to do it. They, so you're saying left. that AWS can kind of coast a bit because there's not that much competition. There is competition. I, that, that's what's kind of, I think, turn, turns some of these. I, I, think, I think for a lot of it, it, it comes down to trust. And, and AWS has gotten, gotten so big and developed this kind of trust among the community. I mean, th- think about today. Let's go build an a online SaaS application, Jeremy. Right. Wh- wh- what do you want to host it on? What's your first thought? Yeah, AWS. AWS. I mean, it's just a go-to, right? Yeah. I mean, that just speaks to the volumes and numbers. I mean, you, you have a startup in mind, you have something you want to build, your, your default's going to be AWS. Yeah, but they've, but they've got all these competitors that are offering, you know, basically the Id- identical service, right? But no one can offer identical Salesforce. No one. True. But I, I, what are we arguing, though, that why, why is AWS much more profitable? They should. I'm saying they shouldn't be more profitable. Like Salesforce should be more profitable than AWS. I don't know. I, I think AWS just doesn't have that much competition at, at at that enterprise level. I mean, they really don't. I mean, Google tried to have tried tried to offer or does. I, I'm not sure if they should. Did they shut that down? Well, I don't know what you mean because I mean, there's IBM Software, Rackspace, uh, yeah, Azure. But I don't, I don't um, know that they're a- they're holding a candle Google. to AWS. I mean. I don't. I don't think about those guys. I don't well, think about going to IBM or Rackspace or Google was the only other one I thought of, and I, I'm not even sure they still run that. They do. Um, Maybe they're yeah. reinvesting in it. I don't know. Well, I think. I think the reason is because AWS is just the runaway leader right now. I mean, AWS is as big as the next 14 competitors combined. <laughs> yeah. And what's your differentiator in that market? I mean, what is your? I mean, if AWS is the go-to, and it's hard to screw that up unless you're just you know you have so many outages. As long as you're maintaining your uptime, that that's your dif- differentiator. And if there's not much of a differentiator, that's that's the point. That's why it's like it should be a commodity to low mart. Like there's you shouldn't have the ability to make four hundred million dollars a quarter on this. Yeah, that just tells you right there that there's not as much pricing pressure as, as we might have thought there was in that market. Maybe it's not as commoditized yet, but maybe it's because AWS is so much bigger than everyone else, you know, they've yeah. just, they've gotten to such a scale, right. That 
they don't that it's really not it's not that commoditization has not really played out yet. Hmm. And I think the reason Salesforce is not profitable is again a completely different thing. It's not because applications aren't profitable; they they are the way more profitable than just hardware. Um, it's just that Salesforce, I think, is again having to. Their, at least their philosophy right now has been to just reinvest everything, even even if it means you're going to lose some money on paper for quite a long time. Fastest you know, billion. Salesforce is releasing, I think, Friday their Q2 numbers as well, and. I wouldn't be surprised if they their profit is ticking up. I mean, it's still they're still not going to have a gap profit, but they're you know whether you're looking at gap or non gap. If you're looking at if you're looking at non gap, they're 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 going to be profitable. And if you look at non gap, they're they're going to have you know they're going to be cutting their losses. Mm-hmm. So well, we'll see though. Friday, I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. But yeah, so I mean, I think I think Salesforce, you know, it looks like they're you know they may be hitting some leverage here where they're going to they're starting to round that corner into profitable territory. Yeah. I'd hope so. Because I think when that happens, their valuation is going to go way up. You know, what are they trading at now? Like 72 bucks? I mean, I think yeah, they could that. be, I think they could be 85, 90. Uh, pretty it's soon. on my watch. 73.9. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if they come out with, yeah, you know, again, more, more progress, whether you're looking at gap or non-gap, um, if it's moving in the right direction significantly, then I mean this is probably an obvious thing to say, but I I, yeah, I think eighty five ninety would be a reasonable kind well, of price target 70, for that. Seventy three is up because I thought yesterday it was seventy one or something, seventy two. So they are up. Yeah, when um, when Amazon announced their these earnings a couple of days ago, their stock price surged and it literally added forty billion dollars to the market cap. That's the size wow. of Salesforce. Wow, to the market cap. Just by having some some good numbers here, Amazon's another one of these that, of course, they are in a commodity business. They just they sell books and you know, like phones and, and stuff. Phones exactly, and, all this yeah. low profit stuff. And they when they they're famously unprofitable. Um, you know, AWS is one of the. That's why it's surprising that they are profitable. It's like, wow, you built this thing that's supposed to be a commodity business. This little thing that you you built inside your book selling business, and it turns out it's the thing that's generating the most the most profit. Uh, yeah, Amazon is now their their market cap is bigger than Walmart now. Crazy. Um, okay, so I have some drama. <laughs> Talinda. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> there was an article a couple of days ago, um, and the title was uh, uh, "Talon CEO: Salesforce Shortcomings and Big Data Skills." I was like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, because we talked about Talon last week. They've they now support Wave, or they have, they're a Wave connector. They can get mm-hmm. they can get data from right using their tool into, into Salesforce. And so this morning, getting ready for the podcast, I go to pull this article up, and it's gone. Article's gone. It's gone. Yep. I saw that. Well, that's interesting. So I I actually tweeted at this. What are they? CBR, CBR online, I think. Mm-hmm. And no no response. I said, "Hey, where'd this article go? It's not here anymore." No response. So I, I using some Google foo. I found I got, went to Google's cache and found the cache copy of it. So this, but the, I think this article got censored. So okay, here's what the guy said. Okay, so working with other companies' platforms is something that talent is used to. Right? That's what they do, which gives the company a pretty insightful view into the benefits and failings of different approaches to analytics. 
Having just partnered with Salesforce's analytics cloud partner ecosystem, it seems that this guy, CEO Tukin, wasn't too impressed by what he's seen so far. Uh, This is his quote. They haven't structured in a way that makes it particularly easy. Uh, It's easier to put data into, for for instance, AWS than it is in Salesforce Wave. So, so wh- this was the Talend CEO? Talon CEO. That was, these mm-hmm. were his words? This were his words. article writer's were his, words? Those were his words. Okay. Um, while he understands the move by the application vendor to add analytics themselves, he points out that other solutions are better. Another quote here. You'll find that something like Tableau will have more flexibility and more details, analytics and analytics options available. The other thing that you'll find with a third-party source, uh, you're probably more likely to bring in other data sets easily. So if you've got third-party data. That's that's one thing I've been wondering about Wave is it seems like there were these blessed sources of data and if you if you had if those were your sources whether it was I don't know what were they early on I mean they've got these you know predefined connectors and if you if your data wasn't coming from those then it's like there was no way to get it in other than the CS they had the CSV thing well, the connectors were two tools though they were two middleware tools it was to like Informatica and things like that it it didn't mean that you couldn't connect to your local SQL Server database and bring that into Wave. No, they. So I'm not talking about connectors. So connectors are kind of in the middle. Like you have a source of data, the connector pulls it from the source and pushes it into your destination, which is Wave, right? Right. What I'm talking about is they announced predefined sources of data. Like if you run Sage, or for example. Oh, yeah, that then, was the connections. Right, but if you had data that wasn't in one of these sources, it, for the longest time there was no known way to get that data into Wave. Then they then they released the CSV thing. Which I guess if you dumped the stuff to CSV, then you could get in. But other than that, it was it was either use their CSV importer or you have to have one of these predefined sources. Then inform then you then the, you know it was Informatica and mm-hmm. Talon, right? And presumably you can pull your data from anywhere with those guys. But that's why I was asking, like, why why can they do that? But I can't do that. Like, there's no API for me to do that. I want to use the API that they're using. Why is that only exposed to them? Yeah. Maybe it kind of sounds like that's what he's talking about here. He said he said he just says with third with a third body data source, you're gonna you know, you're going to have, you'll, you'll, you'll be much, it'd be much easier to pull those in a Tableau than it would be in a Salesforce is what he's saying. Hmm. Um, only when you have all three of those data sources, can you start to ask inter- interesting questions about your data? He's, this, I'm kind of skipping ahead. While Salesforce will have better integration with its own data, um, another quote here, less flexibility around some of the third-party data sets and a little less depth of analysis relative to something like a combination of AWS and Tableau. Then he starts talking about how, you know, we've got this data science skills gap. There's not enough people with yeah. data science skills. Um, goes on to some other stuff. Just uh, talks about anal- you know some analytics as a service and different things. But yeah, this this article got wiped. It's gone. Where were the quotes coming from, though? Mike Tuchin, Talon CEO. No, no, no. I mean, how did they acquire the quotes? Maybe, maybe the. I'm trying to pit together why this got pulled. Either the CEO got cold feet and said, "No, don't print that," or they're pulling quotes from someplace that they didn't have rights to pull from. Yeah. I mean, it was CB, CBRonline.com. Mm. Uh, so I, I, mean, I guess they interviewed him. They've got, they've got other articles where they've interviewed him. They're still there. Hmm. Computer business review. Don't say anything bad anything about Salesforce. They'll have your crap <laughs> taken down. <laughs> That's a leap, but. That's what? That's a leap. I'm just. I think it's, I just think it's funny. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're, I think what you said is more likely. He probably, he's probably like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. That's what I'm I, thinking. Cause, he's, just, Cause they're newly partnered with Salesforce, yeah. right? That's their partner now. He's like, yeah, I was just thinking about that. 
don't think I should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> you mind if we take that article down? Yeah. Or someone saw it and said, what the hell, man? Yeah. No, I don't think Salesforce has gone around threatening people to take down stuff. Yeah. That was just a joke. Um, all right. So I, this is something I kind of had for last week, but we didn't get to it, which was performance reviews. So Accenture announced that they are no longer going to do annual performance reviews, which I think is a big thing because number one, Accenture is a big company. But yeah. also, you know, this is an example of these, you know, companies that have been around a long time. They've kind of got some, they're kind of old school in their processes and their the ways they do things. So it's kind of cool. I think that they, because I think we've talked about this, how you know, I think performance reviews is, is one of the most damaging charades that you have to play in corporate life. So, yeah. So as of September, one of the largest companies will do all, all of its employees and managers an enormous favor. It will get rid of the annual performance review. Uh, the firm will disband rankings and, and a, and the once a year evaluation process starting in 2016. Actually, no, starts this September. That's when their fiscal year 2016 starts. It will implement a more fluid system in which employees receive timely feedback from their managers on an ongoing basis following assignments, which totally makes sense. Like, Give me some feedback like, as I'm doing an assignment or when I finish it. Don't wait until the end of the year or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, Accenture is joining a small but prominent list of major corporations that have had enough with the forced rankings. This time, uh, the time-consuming paperwork and the frustration engendered among managers and employees alike. Um, do you remember when Microsoft did this? What was that, about a year ago? Yeah. Um, stacked ranking? Yeah. Basically had to eliminate... The, you know, the bottom, this is a GE thing. This is a Jack Welch thing. I mean, he was huge on this every year. He'd want to eliminate the, you know, he, they'd separate everyone into a players, B players and C players. And, you know, C players, they would define as like the bottom 20% and just every year he wanted them fired, which kind of doesn't make sense, especially if you've been through that a few times and you mm-hmm. have nothing left, but like badass people, you know, like nothing but a and B players. Like, but you're still forced to get rid of 20% of people every time and replace them. And it's kind of hard to find, you know, good, well, people good B fatigue. players. People fatigue. So yeah. you might be a B player and eventually you're dropped. You're like on the edge between B and C. I don't know. So, okay. So Microsoft did away with rankings nearly two years ago, attracting particular attention since it had long evangelized about the merits of its system that judged employees against each other. Adobe, Gap, and Medtronic have also transformed their review process. Um, employees that do the best in performance management systems tend to be the employees that are the most narcissistic and self-promoting. They, you know, cause you have to write a self, you know, usually cause you've been through this cause you work oh, yeah. for a big company. You write this, you know, a self analysis, right? You're basically yeah. doing your manager's work for you, for them. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's two sides to it. There's, you have to do yours and they do theirs. And you know, your the advice I got was, you know, if on a scale of one to five, mark everything as fives. You you have to, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you never want to rank yourself as one on something. Right. I suck at this. <laughs> so I want to I want to point people to that and this is really old, but it's a classic Joel Spolsky kind of he used to he used to I don't know, this is a kind of before blogging was a thing. This article I think was from two thousand. But it's called Incentive Pay Considered Harmful. It's kind of a play on the go to considered harmful, classic uh, computer science paper. And I can just give a couple of quotes here, but I'll put it in the show notes so that it's just a great read. He's talking about the process. He says, first, you give anonymous up, uh, upward reviews for your direct manager as if that could be done in an honest way, right? Because you have to review your manager as well. It's part of the process. 
Then you filled out an optional self-evaluation form, which you, which your manager quote took into account in preparing your performance review. You didn't, you didn't put the air quotes around optional either. <laughs> well, the air quotes go around anonymous. The, 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 your upper <laughs> review of your manager was anonymous somehow, right? And finally, you get you get a numerical score uh, in in lots of non-scalar categories like works well with others from one to five where the only, where the only possible scores were actually three or four. Like that's only, that's the only score they'd give you was a three or four, even though it was a one to five scale. It's kind of like Likert effects and it's a stat statistical thing, but like basically people avoid choosing ones. Like if you have a one to five, you know, rate us one to five or whatever, mm-hmm. people never choose one or five. Or this, you know, a lot of people, personality types tend not to because they think, well, you couldn't have been great enough for five and surely you're not bad enough for a one. I do that with my beers. Do you? On, oh, on, you're scared to, yeah, it's like, oh, like I'll I keep it around three or four, you know. <laughs> I was happy when they did quarter markings because then I could do 475. You can really split the, split hairs yeah. on your I want to save that five for like the, the most awesomest beer that just blew me away and I'm like, that's definitely a five. Yeah. Um, yeah, managers submit bonus recommendations upwards, which were completely ignored and everyone received bonuses that were almost completely random. The system never took into account that, I think this is, I think he's talking about when you work at Microsoft actually. The system never took into account the fact that people have different and unique talents, all of which are needed in a team to work well. Uh, he talks about uh, one friend of his who was a, cheer, a cheerful catalyst, a, a bouncy cruise director who motivated everyone, uh, who motivated everyone else when things got tough. He was the glue that held their team, this team together. He, he worked on the Excel team actually back in the day. Hmm. But he tended to get negative reviews because his manager didn't understand his contribution. Um, another friend, w- friend was incredibly. Uh, insightful strategically his conversations with other people about how things should be done allowed everyone else to do their work much better he tended to spend more time than average trying out new technologies and in this area he was invaluable to the rest of the team but in terms of lines of code he wrote he wrote less than average Um, and his manager was too stupid to notice all his other contributions so he always got negative reviews Uh, negative reviews obviously have a devastating effect on morale Uh, in fact giving someone a review that is positive but not as positive as the person expected also has a negative effect on morale. Not to mention your pay. It's all you, tied you to basically, this. You, you can't win on these things. Um, most people think they do pretty good work, even if they don't. It's just a little trick our minds plan is to keep life bearable. So if everyone thinks they do good work and the, and the reviews are merely correct, which is not to say very easy to achieve, then most people will be disappointed by their reviews. The cost of this in morale is hard to understate. Anyway, I've got other stuff highlighted, but... Um, Tom DeMarco, uh, and I think his name's Tim Lister. They have a book. Uh, oh, I can't think of it. I know I can see the title now. Um, people product. Peopleware. 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 Thank there you. You go. said people. It made me think of it. Peopleware. Great book. It's like, it's, I want to say it's 20, 25 years old now, but it's, if you work with, it, really, it's like career wise, like everyone should read that book. Um, talks about any kind of workplace competition, any scheme of rewards and punishment, and even the old-fashioned trick of catching people doing something right and rewarding them, all do more harm than good. Giving someone positive reinforcement, such as stupid company ceremonies where people get plaques, or I will say the modern version of that, these stupid, what's, this, what's the Salesforce product that they bought that, get, that they send you these stupid plaques that you were top this of the month, or you, you build more hours, or you didn't take any time off, congratulations on ruining your work-life balance. I have no idea um, It's I think it, is it work.com? It's one of the, it's like a little... Incentive. Well, work system. is a cloud, isn't it? Work I is a cloud now, uh, but yeah, it's all about kind of workplace incentivizing. 
But they're saying that gamification, I think. They're saying that these, you know, that type of positive reinforcement implies that they only did it for the plaque. It implies that they are independent or they're not independent enough to work unless they're going to get a cookie. And it's insulting and demeaning. Uh, Most software managers have no choice but to go along with a performance review system that they already have in place. If you're in this position, the only way to prevent team aside is to simply give everyone on your team a gushing review. Uh, But if you do have any choice in the matter, I'd recommend that you run fling from any kind of performance reviews, incentive bonus, or stupid corporate employee of the month program. It's a great article. It's a a good read. So you're not a fan of uh, performance reviews, apparently. No, they're, they're, they're just, they're almost always at least devastating, if not mildly negative on morale. I mean, there's, there's a few people that feel like they don't get any feedback from management at all, that they don't get any feedback. And sometimes this is their, which is their another, chance. which is another form and of in fact, bad in management. places that don't have this type of thing. Sometimes you'll hear people saying, well, we don't, we don't have performance reviews. We don't, I don't get to give feedback. I don't get to see how I'm doing. I just, you know, I think it's a double edged sword. Some people think they want it because they're not getting interaction from, from management. And there's those that are forced to do it every year because it's corporate policy. And I, I honestly wonder what's better not having any kind of performance review whatsoever or something like this. I mean, when they say they replaced it with, with ongoing feedback, that's great if that happens, but what if it's not happening? Well, that's, that's where I think it's really important for companies to have, to provide proper training to managers. A lot lot of companies, but then how does the company manage that? Are they back to doing a tool and then everything's, everyone's back to logging in after every project and doing a, what do you want to call it? A sunset on a project and evaluate each other. And now we're doing all even more paperwork. I just think it, I I think it is all about encouraging a culture of, of managers actually managing, working with their people and understanding what's going on instead of, instead of always man, you know, some managers, they're just constantly spend their time managing up. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the opposite thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, if you, if you need some self-evaluation form to tell you how your people are doing or whatever, then you don't know what they're doing and you're a bad manager. But some companies, they're—I will say—they're—they're they're definitely in the minority. But some companies do, and Salesforce may be good at this. I have no idea, actually. I have no idea. What, I'd be curious to see what kind of system they have. But some companies do a really great job of encouraging that culture and making sure that managers at least have the chance. You know, when you become a lot of companies, when you become a manager, they go—they send you a special training that yeah. at least gives you a kind of a, a chance at becoming because it's hard to be a good manager. That's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. Because you're having to, you know, got you've got these people that are reporting to you that have their own needs that have to be f- fed in a certain way. Everyone's egos are different. Everyone has different goals and different things they want to do, and it's very hard. And it's not to mention hard just to understand who's who's performing and who needs help, right? Yeah, but it's not just performance. I mean, most of these programs are tied to annual raises or to your pay, right? So, so what happens to that? Well, okay, because like, like and, and, lot, and the reason they do that is is almost liability reasons. I mean, how, how do you justify why you got a 10% raise and I got a 15% raise? By this charade of a piece of paper you turned in? I'm just you saying. Were, I, know, I know, I know, I hear you. I mean, it's, 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 it's how, but, it's, they're, they're basically but, saying, okay, how do we justify who gets what? But as Joel points out, it's completely bogus and, quote, everybody received bonuses that were almost completely random. That, that's the way it ends up happening. It, you know, I'm sure your department too, gets fifteen percent split it up. Yeah, I mean it's however it, you think it's fair. I feel is like that, I feel like this technique doing? is a holdover of of kind of classic Taylorism style of management, and I'm glad to see it slowly but surely dying away. Maybe we're too dependent on the annual raises. Maybe we need to also evolve 
as individuals to say, hey, um, I've been here about a year. I think I'm worth uh, this much now. Have you seen this holacracy movement? Is that what it's called? Hol- Maybe it's holacracy. Like Zappos is famous for this. This is a thing that's taking off. Basically, I don't know. Everyone, you know, everyone makes the same amount of money or something like that. Or everyone knows how much everyone money, you know, how much money everyone makes, and everyone makes the same amount. I don't like that. Yeah. Oh, a lot. Of, a lot of companies have done that as as the way to battle this uh, women in tech or women in business thing. Hmm. Oh, let's just solve it by everyone makes the same amount of money. Oh yeah, that works. Yeah, that'll work really well, won't it? Yeah. It's a new way of running an organization that removes power from management hierarchy and distributes it across clear roles, which then can then can then be executed autonomously. Autonomously, sorry. So is that tied to the role? So the Without, role everyone in that role gets paid the same? Because now you're just competing for roles. Yeah. Now right. you're just you're you're just title. Roles are defined around the work, not the people, and are updated regularly. Yeah. I don't like that either. No, it is I mean, I see why they're I remember doing working it. for for big companies and pay scale was kind of based on that. So once you reached a certain scale, certain pay rate, you had to move on to a different level before you could get another raise. So you're stuck. Yeah. And that's how they ended up with like programmer level analyst one oh, and yeah. two and three yeah. and senior. And I was like, what the hell, man? What, oh, what do you do here? I'm programmer two. What? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just tattoo my employee number on my arm? You know? <laughs> just give me a barcode, scan me and tell me what exactly. I'm worth. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, just a little one of my, that's what kind of one of my pet peeves of I have a lot of typical corporate management pet yeah, peeves. Yeah, you didn't things. seem passionate about that at Not all. Not at all. No. I really didn't have any opinions before I read that. No, I didn't think so. Yeah. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir. Jeremy was right. I'd so bear hug him. Keep in mind, these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Thank you.